I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome to the Fried Egg Podcast. I'm Garrett Morrison, and today we are ringing in the new year of 2023. Andy Johnson is here with me. We're going to talk about some things that we appreciated in the golf world last year, moments that we loved, and we're also going to talk about things that we're looking forward to in this year. Andy, how's it going? Garrett, it's going great. Um, how are you doing? Do you got any New Year's resolutions? Any uh, any big things happen over the last few days since I last talked to you? Look, I've been on this earth for 38 years now. I've, I've seen many, many a new year come and go. And I've seen resolutions come and go. And I stick to a given resolution for maybe three to four weeks on average. Like a really good one is five weeks. I don't know what what's what's your experience. Maybe that's useful in and of itself, right? Just that it's a reset. you know that short amount of time. It's a reset, yeah. So I guess I guess in that sense, the resolutions are good. I just didn't make one this year. It's the same as always. I probably got to lose twenty pounds. I I need to uh, uh, get more sleep, and you know, things basic health things like that that kind of go out the window when you have little kids. Yeah, I think uh, I. I did well last year. I've I've tried to be more uh, more organized around the house. I feel like I did that, but um, did you? You know, my wife might disagree, but you know, she she expects <laughs> she's not things, on this podcast. She expects things out of me that I'm unable to you know uh, <laughs> deliver. So the yeah. the uh, <clears throat> but in general, I think uh, I think resolutions are good, right? They just get you in the uh, they get you in the habit of doing something. Uh, life's so much about habits, right? You know. <laughs> Yeah, but they don't last more. If they don't last, then what good? Yeah, are they? but if they're, you they're just... if you actually do it for a couple of weeks, then you're more likely to do it four months from now. Then mm-hmm. oh, return you, to it. Yes, yeah. exactly. And it's yeah. not like you're never going to change fully. Like oh, I'm going to do this, and I some people might, but it, it's very difficult to completely change. But if you can start to shift your behavior, I think that's beneficial. Yeah, and I'm actually going to talk about some self improvement stuff in this podcast oh, related wow. to golf. Self improvement, and, and so I guess I guess we're moving that direction. I'm looking at my notes and realizing that I am actually going to be more optimistic about the possibility for change that I'm being right now. You know, one thing that I've done in recent years is that I've kind of started a New Year's resolution a month early, just to prove to myself like I can do this. And so this year for a couple of months. I, I used to be a swimmer, right? I used to mm-hmm. swim competitively and play water polo. And I've gotten away from that since since kids came. And I uh, I started swimming twice a week uh, in the past couple of months. And it's done amazing wonders for my health. You know, I had upper back problems yeah. this year, right? Well, once I started swimming, magically, those problems kind of went away. And I was like, oh, that's why my upper back hurt, because I'm incredibly out of shape. <laughs> The uh, that's I always like. There's something rewarding about 
doing the physical activity the months preceding the new year and then you get the influx of people whether it's in the pool or at the gym like you get that big influx of people and you just kind of laugh you're like i've been doing this before you know like exactly if you're consistent yeah it's like well these are like the new they're going to be out of here in a couple of weeks i'm still right. going to be here i'm the lifer <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly yeah and also the gym is less crowded in december whereas yeah. in january like all of a sudden oh know, it's, it's awful there's, it's really there's nothing nothing worse is uh than than the gym on like january 2nd that's that's one of the worst places in the world because the other thing is you get a lot of people that have bad gym etiquette that just like don't yes, know what they're doing haven't been back for a while yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they're Don't just know what clogging they're doing. up. They're clogging up the whole process. They're, you know, they're sitting on machines for uh, un, unjust periods of time. You know, and just in general, they're just they're gumming up the works. <laughs> that's a message to all you people who are just no, going to work out message. for two weeks. That's <laughs> I think that's a message. Um, I, like right. I said, it's it's ben- beneficial if you do it for two weeks. You're more likely to do it more often in the year. We encourage people to be healthy. Uh, for sure. We're and, a health uh, podcast. Gen- January, yeah. we're a health podcast. Self-help and health podcast. There you go. Um, self-improvement. That's, resolu- that's, that's what we're about. Is that the resolution for this podcast? Yeah. We've become a self-help. We better get some better get some different guests. All right. So um, we're going to be talking about 2022 first. Looking back on 2022 and reflecting on some of the golf moments that we really liked or thought were significant. I'm not sure we're necessarily going to talk about completely enjoyable moments, but just things that will stick with us. And so why don't we just start with your first one? We, we each have like three. Um, why don't we start with your first one? What What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of 2022 and like a great significant golf moment that you had in your experience? For sure. I, I think um, I'll, I'll go a little bit out of the box, something I haven't talked about uh, on this podcast, but I had a round uh, in March at the Presidio hmm. that really stuck out to me when I thought back. I tried to like go through my phone and look through pictures and remember different things, right? And like, especially because like there are big things that stick out, and I have a I have a couple of those on this list. But this Presidio round, you know, I was uh, I before. I was out in San Francisco for a while in the spring before we moved and you know I kept putting it off playing the Presidio and it was we were in the city so it was super close to where I was staying and I kept putting it off and we got to like the last week I was in town and I was like well I better get over to the Presidio I have to go so I booked the first tea time out of the gates um and you know I I tend to like to just like zip around a course by myself. And that's like the thing that I like enjoy doing at public golf courses when I'm out like working. You know, I was going to Presidio to see the golf course and, you know, and I figure I thought, yeah, you know, it looks cool. I need to go see it. I've, a lot of people have told me about it and I was just looking to zip around. But in this case, like they held me on the first tee. I was kind of like I was irritated. And I got paired with two Korean gentlemen that were just like from the neighborhood. And it was like just one of the most enjoyable rounds of the year. And it was this two random guys who played every single morning. And like they were like the guy held me on the first tee because they knew he knew these guys were coming and they were like the first tee time off. They played really fast. They were local like, you know. 
I, yeah. you know, and, and that neighbor, the surrounding neighborhood near Presidio, I used to actually live there. Uh-huh. And uh, that is a traditionally a Korean American neighborhood yes. too. So you got like a true local experience from, you know, maybe a couple of guys who, who had lived there for a long time. And like, yeah. And just like experiencing the golf course in the element of like, you know, this, these are the people that play it. And like, I get hung up on like trying to get things done quickly and sure. Like, it probably cost me 45 minutes, an hour of my day playing with these guys. But I think it also like added to the just experience of it and the local flavor of it. And I think like one of the things like, you know, it, it, this might sound weird to listeners, but like this is part of this is like my my job and in, in, in golf, like going to see new courses is whether or not like it's great work. I don't re- I love it. Like, but it is work and you get hung up on like just trying to get stuff done and get, you know, and like this was like at first an annoyance. Like I was like, I have to play with these guys. But at the end of the day, it was really fun. It was just like it was different than, you you know, the your, your normal experience that I go through at golf courses, whether it's like, you know, I go around with like, you know, people that are uh, on the greens committee or I go around with a superintendent. This was like. I went around with two random guys like we didn't even talk about, you know, we didn't talk about what what I do for a living. We just played golf and it was really enjoyable. And I think like one of the things I crave, it was just like an extremely authentic experience, if that makes sense. And I thought that golf course, like furthermore on it, like that's like one of the more underrated public golf courses in America. Like that's really good. Yeah. Like and I, I get it's got issues, right? It's it, it, like I would hate to go. It's been raining a bunch here. I would hate to go play it right now. Like I'm sure it'd be a, like a, a soggy slog. But like most courses in the country are closed right now. Like, the fact that you can even play golf. But you go there in the summer, you get an early morning tea time. And I, I get it, it gets slow in the afternoon. That's every public golf course that's in a metropolitan area gets slow in the afternoon. That's just the nature of public golf in major cities in America. Now it gets a little slow, but like that golf course has is super unique, has some really great holes. And I don't think they have that many bad holes. Like when I think about that golf course, like it's really freaking good. And it's 120 bucks and it's in a city. Like there's very, it's actually kind of like you could make a case that it's affordable for what it is given its locale it's like in you know it borders richmond and pacific heights like it's in like a a ritzy part of town yeah yeah i mean well a lot of san francisco is pretty ritzy now yeah um but uh when, when i lived in the in the richmond district there was some there were some affordable places to be had as well so there's like a mix up on the hill definitely like by the presidio is <laughs> Uh, yeah, there are some there are some nice houses up when there. When you drive to the Presidio from, uh, it would be east. You know, you're you're going through the nicest one of the nicest neighborhoods in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah totally. And it's up like, on that hill there, I, super. Yeah, super. I mean, nice. and I think about it, it's like, what would that golf course? How would people talk about it if it was a private club? Yeah, I mean, I think it would be well regarded. I, I think that also maybe people haven't necessarily seen the renovation work that has been done there recently. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been some work done on the course that improved it, definitely. I, I played it when I lived there a couple of times, and it was really a great public course back then as well. But the renovation work, I think, has uh, enhanced it, right? 
Yeah, the I mean the bunkers are beautiful. I think you know they're yeah. they're gnarly. I think a lot of clubs like those bunkers are really good. They're yeah, they're beautiful, they're genuinely well executed. Yeah, uh, you know there are some of these uh, kind of frilly edge things that are starting to not look so good or starting to look a little bit played out. But Presidio did a good job there. Yeah, I, I've said this to a few people. It's very like if you can't play the Olympic Club, the Lake Course. You're you're getting a lot of the same qualities at of the Olympic Club. Like what makes the Olympic Club uh, a really cool place to play is the fact that like you're always playing from uneven lies and you're hitting to different elevations. And that's the challenge of the Olympic Club. That's what kind of makes that's the championship quality of the Olympic Club is the uncomfortableness of playing from these severe lies to uphill or downhill targets, small targets and at presidio you kind of get the same thing like you're very rare like there are very few instances of you hitting from an uh an, a level lie to a level target you're constantly yeah. playing up and down from side hills and it is it is really really good like i i think i'm excited to see what gill does with the lake course and how it improves but like I think before the work, it would I would be hard pressed to say that I'd rather would have played more at the Lake Course than Presidio. So that just gives you, I I hope that gives some context of like this place is really cool and should be on your list of places to see on a visit to to San Francisco. All right, so my first memory from 2022 is from the PGA Championship at Southern Hills. I on Friday ended up following Tiger Woods on his back nine. He was on the cut line. That was a gutty, gutty back nine. He was hurting. (laughs) He needed to do something on these last nine holes in order to make the cut. And he ended up withdrawing from the tournament afterwards, actually. But I think he was really trying to prove something by, by making this cut. Um, I wrote something about it. You know, I'm the details of this aren't, coming immediately to mind right now. So I might just like read a little bit of the article that I wrote here. I hope this isn't too self-indulgent. But what I wrote was Tiger Woods did not look good. His post-car crash limp is familiar now, his right leg hovering for a moment before moving into stride. He kind of has this hitch in his walk, right? Um, Later, after hitting his layup second shot on the 13th hole, he winced so hard that the crowd gasped. Um, I remember that, right? He he was like immediately after hitting the shot, he just sort of doubled over and the crowd was like paying attention to that. Like hands on the knees, right? Yes. He goes yeah, like, to, I, like the kind of stuff that you that used to move. see him do. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, 10 years ago, right? When he was really, really hurting and, and like sort of falling down to one knee and doing stuff like that after swinging. He kind of looked like that, right? Um. So he was hanging around the cut line, looked like uh, plus four would make the weekend, and he arrived at the 10th tee plus four on the tournament. Uh, The wind was kind of dying down, uh, but he needed to, like, be even par on that, uh, on those nine holes. Um, He ended up making the cut. He ended up, he ended up doing it, right? And some great shots, some really bad shots. He was obviously rusty. I, I remember he stubbed a chip. Um from around the green on the 14th hole, but he also hit just great shots in the moment, right? He, after he stubbed that chip, he made the putt 
after he missed those grains, he got up and down from the bunkers and he was really, really grinding, right? He had that kind of blank expression mm-hmm. that he has when he's really locked in to a tournament. Um, and, uh, you know, I had never really seen Tiger play live. I hadn't, I had been at tournaments that he was playing at and I always made the choice not to follow him because the crowds were so crazy, right? Mm-hmm. The opportunity at Southern Hills was to be inside the ropes, right? That was a huge privilege. I, I was covering the tournament and I got to follow Tiger Woods and see him grind and grind and grind in order just to make a cut. And it was really a, a you know, an experience that I'll remember for the rest of my life. His greatness was showing through the rust in these really, really clear ways where you could see that the player that he is, the player that he was, even though he was hurting so bad, even though he was not striking every ball cleanly because he just doesn't have the reps right now, there was something of Tiger there. And I understood why, why people were in that huge gallery following him. It was the most exciting thing to watch at the PGA championship that week for sure. Yeah, I I mean I think that's a it's a really cool thing. I I had a similar experience at the Masters, right, where you're watching them just kind of piece something together, and and it's not, you know, we're at the stage with Tiger, obviously, like this we don't really have to talk about this that much, but we're like, you know, you think about the great stages of are of the world's best athletes ever, and we're at the very very twilight of Tiger, but I think one of the beauties of of you know, and I think I I saw I think KVV tweeted this or maybe he I think he tweeted this about athletes and like one of the one of the great and we're about the same age and and Tiger's a little bit older than us but like one of the great things about being a sports fan around our age is like watching these athletes like you feel like you've been a part of them for their your entire life like has been intertwined with their greatness like and that's definitely how I feel about Tiger is that you know I I started becoming a golf fan when he was winning USAMs and I think we're at the end of this but you also like you have this connection with him and while he doesn't do it all the time like he used to like the shots they aren't always there like they aren't like there's rust there's there's things that prevent him from you know, injuries that prevent him from being able to be who he once was. And then he's also fighting age, right? Um, but there are moments and and when you see those moments, it, it there's something that reminds you of the past. And I think that's the beautiful thing about watching athletes as they kind of enter their twilights of their career is like, you know, this past weekend Tom Brady had a you know, he's had a awful year. But he had a performance that, and he made some throws that reminded you of years prior. And it's those things that you hold on to. And that's like, you know, there's always the case of like, should he even be playing? You know, is this, but he's going to deliver moments. And and right now it's making the cut at majors without playing any golf, except for majors, like not playing any competitive golf. Just showing up and making a cut at a major. I mean, it's an incredible thing. And part in what you're talking about is part of probably what drives him and athletes like him, like Tom Brady, to keep coming back. Right. Everybody's asking, why hasn't Tom Brady retired? Why didn't he retire after winning the Super Bowl? Right. That would have been the perfect moment. Well, 
he's still capable of those individual moments of brilliance, as is Tiger, and, and so maybe that's what brings them back. They also, uh, it's you're you're getting it's a glimpse into like what drives it's. These are the guys, the athletes that love the grind. Like you could throw Serena Williams. Like you think about Serena Williams' U.S. Open run this this summer into this bucket. Like nobody expected her to win the U.S. Open, and I don't think, but like her, I forgot who she knocked off. Like the two seed or the one seed in the tournament, she just put together. It, on a singular night, a performance that reminded you of her greatness. And Tiger on the back nine at Southern Hills put together nine holes that reminded you about how great he was in tough conditions, clearly hobbled. Like, I, I it's just Tiger's having him just play five. It, it's, it's hard. It's not like fun to, I, I don't like. In a in a in a vacuum, I don't think it's fun to watch Tiger play now. No, but there, like as a in a totality. But then there are just moments he delivers that makes you feel something different than most players can can give you. That's exactly right. Ninety percent of the time, it's awkward and worrisome. Yes, frankly, to watch him walk and play golf. Right on a serious course like Southern Hills, you're like. This is not good. What I'm watching here is some kind of pathology that I shouldn't be using for entertainment. But then 10% of the time, it's like, oh, that that's bullshit. <laughs> like, this is amazing. This yeah. is the best golfer ever, you know? And and he's and he's still that guy. And so it's a it's an interesting place to be as a fan where you're just going back and forth between these two ways of feeling about it. And I don't think that needs to be resolved. I think you know, that that complexity is just there with Tiger now. Um, um, so. so moving on to the next topic, it's it's tangentially related to yours. Is it, it's So this is another moment from the past year. Yeah, major you. championships. Uh, I, I was lucky, really lucky. I, I mean, I this year was incredible. And two of the, you know, two of the final rounds and really the two of the weekends would, were just sensational that I was at, I was at the U S open and the open championship. And I think like those two Sundays and, and really the U S open the Saturday, those two days are going to stick with me forever. Um, as like, you know, getting to watch up close, you know, those final rounds unfold, you know, whether it be at the open with cam and Rory, you know, and, and kind of toggling back and forth. I, you know, on the back nine, I was half in the Cam Smith group watching him kind of from behind and Rory, I would look back, you know, cause it was all jammed up and it was able to watch both groups. And then on, on, at the, at the U S open, it was kind of like this mixture. You had Scotty get off to a hot start and you thought he might be the guy and Sal, and then you'd dodge back to Zalatoris and, and Fitzy on the back nine it was just, a, it was a show and I think like it was a really weird year, obviously with live and everything. And, and that's something that probably will stick with me. It'll be a year unlike any other. And I'm hoping that, you know, 2023, I think will be a little bit more normal just because we're, we're more used to the schism in the sport, but those major championships came at moments of like the lead up to the major was the most heightened live drama like that's what was the the story in the lead up to these majors and then once the ball once the golf started 
it became like almost a sanctuary where for four days it was we were out of the live drama and just watching you know what makes us love the sport of golf right the highest stakes and watching some of the best players in the world play you know Rory and Cam Smith and obviously Zalatoris and Fitzpatrick put to get those two were two of the best major players of the year you know putting together like you know incredible performances I mean Cam Young in the in the open gets forgotten that was that his back nine was out of this world yeah. I'll never forget him just like yeah. just those tee shots he was hitting that tee shot he hit on 17 was extraordinary given the firmness like it's just like those moments unfolding and I mean like the I'm kind of jumping around here but the Zalatoris Fitzy 18th hole at Brookline that was unbelievable. I mean, Zalatoris, he thought, was dead in the water after 15. And then 16, he hits it hits it to four feet, and nobody was hitting it close on 16. It's it just, those majors were amazing, and I'll never forget those two in particular. That's the thing that's going to get forgotten about 2022 because the dominant story was Liv versus P- the PGA Tour, obviously. But it was the best set of majors, four majors that I can remember. And one big reason for that, well, two big reasons for that. One, the courses were great. Let's never forget (laughs) that part of the reason that these four majors were so good is that every course was interesting and great. And I think arguably the best set of major courses in the last probably 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 without a doubt the best four major venues as a whole in the last three decades yeah southern hills the country club the old course and obviously augusta incredible and i think that that lesson just isn't i mean it's been learned a little more like we're, we're seeing some better courses come into the major rotation so maybe I think, like, there's the maybe PGA there's a is definitely curve elevating their yeah. courses and the US, as is the, the usga Open. yeah right yeah so so credit where credit's due they've chosen really good courses and it paid off this year and then the other factor that made the major so good is that there was like a consistent cast of characters right there was cam smith scotty scheffler rory McElroy. They were big characters at pretty much every major. Fitzy. Matthew Fitzgerald. Yeah. And uh, Matthew, <laughs> I called him Matthew Fitzgerald, didn't I? Yeah. Uh, I'm it's sorry, a... Fitzy. I'm sorry, Northwestern. Yeah, look at that. Alum, that's alum on alum crime. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I went to graduate school at Northwestern. It's not, I'm not really well, an he, alum. I, I, uh, he's, I don't think he could be. You guys are both fake alums. <laughs> exactly. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we both got run out of town. Um, Matthew Fitzpatrick, uh, my apologies. But in any case, the, the point is like these players were pretty much a factor in, in th- at least three of the four majors, right? I, I, I haven't tracked their presence at, at each one of them. But, you know, on, on Sunday, on the weekend at these majors, there were players that you could go back to and say, oh, yeah, that guy was there at the Masters. He was there at the PGA Championship as well. And so there was a sense of kind of coherent drama and storyline across the majors. And that's something right now, by the way, that the PGA Tour lacks, right? Because the 
it just doesn't have that that coherence as well, a schedule. Well, how can you possibly have coherence when there's 45 events a year? Yeah, 45 mm-hmm. events and and you don't know which events the best players are going to show up at. You know the best players are going to show up at the majors. This year there were this past year there were, you know, four or five players who were really really in good form for the majors and that made the experience so much better. So is on your list elevated events one of the things you're looking forward to? <laughs> one of the things I'm looking forward to. <laughs> so we've each done two memories at this. Uh, no, actually I haven't done my second memory. Um maybe we should each just do two because right. this is starting to uh, yeah, so I'll I'll do my I'll do my second one and and then we can move on to what we're looking forward to. Um but uh <laughs> I'm trying to choose my second one. I think I'll go with this. Uh, it, it's a little bit like your Presidio experience where you went into a round with low expectations and your experience just completely exceeded those expectations. For for me, it had more to do with the golf course I was playing. So the course that I played this past summer with my dad and then we were paired with somebody was Forest Hills Golf Course in uh, sort of it's west of Portland a ways. And I live east of Portland. And so it was about an hour drive, a little more than an hour drive to get out there. I've been meaning to get out and see this course. I've heard from some reliable sources that it's very good. And uh, it was designed by Billy Bell Sr. and Jr. It was a Billy Bell. It was a, a Bell collaboration from the early 50s. And, you know, while I heard F that the course Bell. was worth seeing. What's that? FNP. FNP. Bell squared. And so uh, while I had heard that this course was was quite good, was worth seeing, I didn't really have any expectations around it being great, right? Because I had played a lot of bell courses in California growing up, especially F bell courses, the sun. Those ones range in quality. The nepotism courses. Right. The ne- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, th- and this was sort of a nepotism course, right? Because it was the two bells. It was post-war. This was not Billy Bell Sr. of the 1920s and 30s who was doing, you know, legitimately great courses. He and his son kind of, you know, for a while after the war, did a lot of golf course projects and not all of them were great. And so didn't quite know what to expect. Affordable public golf course, right? Basically out in farmland. There's really no houses around it. It's just out on a piece of of farmland. And the clubhouse is kind of this kind of 50s, 60s mod clubhouse, probably hasn't been refurbished since it was originally built. Really charming. And the golf course was just fantastic. Like, extremely good piece of land. Extremely good routing. There are definitely some issues out there, but the trees are cleared enough, right? The corridors are nice and wide. I think they need to do some work on their greens. Those have shrunk over time. A lot of them are kind of circular in shape. The bunkers definitely need some attention. I, again, I don't think that the bunkers have been redone since since the 50s, and, and they probably have, have moved towards more kind of saucer-like shapes. But this course was just, you know, there's been some benign neglect there. And it just reminded me of how good a golf course could be when simply – you had an excellent piece of land with some interesting undulation and you had a rock solid routing with the greens in the right places. And you sort of left it alone from there. Didn't plant too many trees, didn't have too much money to mess it up in the sixties, seventies and eighties. 
And, you know, just what you have is such a delightful course to play. All right, what we're looking forward to. You want to go first or you want me to go first? I'll go first. All right. The U.S. Senior Women's Open is going to be at Waverly Country Club oh, this year. I right just mentioned it. It's the best course in the Portland area, uh, right next to the Willamette River. It, uh, Chandler Egan course that was restored slash renovated by Gil Hans a number of years ago before Gil or really while Gil was doing the Rio project. So um, so he was sort of on his way to to superstardom at that point. But uh, he did this work at Waverly that was really successful. It's an extremely well-presented uh, vintage golf course. The U.S. Senior Women's Open is going to be there in 2023. So I'm really looking forward to getting out there. It's actually the course that is closest to where I live of, of pretty much any golf course, uh, public or private. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to try to, you know, I, I hope I'm home at, at that point. And in, in late August, I guess I'll prioritize being home. But I haven't been to a Senior Women's Open before. This is a relatively new event right it, it kind yeah, of started at chicago golf one. club a few years ago you went to the one at chicago and they've chosen some really good venues they've been to pine needles and now they're coming to portland which just doesn't get many really great golf tournaments there's the yearly lpga tournament uh, which is really an institution locally there used to be a corn ferry tour event but uh, we're not getting that anymore it seems like Liv is not coming back uh, to Pumpkin Ridge next year. That was sort of a, that was sort of a pump and dump by uh, by by Liv there. But um, uh, you know, it it in terms of golf again for a city of this size, uh, we don't get a lot. And so the U.S. Senior Women's Open at what I think is the best course in the Portland area is going to be really fun to watch. So I'm looking forward to that. That's uh, that's a really fun event. I think the thing that I always will remember, I, I remember more shots from that event than than most because of the different, the trajectory that the ball's yeah. coming out, and you have such a, you, you know, like you have Laura Davies who's bombing it, right? But you also have some other other women that are playing that are hitting it like two ten, you know. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that I really appreciated was seeing the shots and how that interacts with the architecture. So yeah. that should be, cool. be really fun at Waverly too. The, the, the greens are too fast at Waverly. <laughs> it's, you know, got to be, got to be honest here. There's some really big tilt in the greens, which makes it interesting. But uh, man, there are some greens that are, that are on the edge out there, but there's a lot of places where you can kind of bounce things in and use the contours of the green to your advantage. So uh, that that should definitely be a, a great place to see that kind of golf played. Um, so for me, the the thing that I'm 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 excited, and this can be uh, you know part ad read here, but like Club TFE has me really excited. I uh, is I this the like, ad read? Well, we? <laughs> I think just in general, the uh, the early days of uh, of of the fried egg, a lot of my writing was architecture golf course based. And in recent years, I think it's moved a little bit more mainstream. And, and one of the things I'm really excited about is that this roots me back into what I enjoy writing the most about. And, uh, and, and also 
you know, so that's that's one of the things that uh, I'm really excited about is writing more about golf courses and architecture in 2023. And then also like the associated travel from it. I think one of the things that we've uh, we we can easily see when we started to plan out the year is is areas of the country that we need to get to or areas of the world that we need to get to um, and we can prioritize a little bit. So, you know, some of the places that I'm excited to get to is a back to the UK. I made my first trip over obviously this year and I I can't wait to get back there. I don't know where we're going to go yet or when, but uh, I, I, we are going. uh, And I, I think that is one thing I'm super excited about. Um, But also like, you know, I, I think, uh, some other areas of the country I'm, I'm particularly like keen to, to get to, we haven't done a ton of stuff in Texas and I think there is some good golf in Texas. It's just, you know, it's kind of a big state and all over the place. And, you know, <laughs> I think that that's an area I'm really excited about. And, uh, another area that I'm, I, I'm eager to get back to people probably don't know, but New York city's got great golf. Oh yeah. Um, and I I've seen, I saw a lot of New York City golf uh, with the major championships in the late 2010s in the area, but I haven't really been back, and I haven't ever done like just like a golf trip to New York City. And yeah, I think that's something that yeah, like I've I've always it's always been tagged to a major championship. I so, mean, there are separate trips to do, right? The, there's the Long Island trip. There's the north of New York City trip, Westchester, yeah. And then there's the New Jersey kind of around New York City uh, exploration as well. There's so much stuff that it's it's kind of intimidating. Mm-hmm. So that's something I we not to you know we haven't announced our calendar yet, but we've got two we've got back to back we've got events in the same week in the in the in the Met area, and uh, and I think that will be a time where I can I can get out there. Yeah, yeah, I I, I would really like to get out there too. We also have to go to Arizona at some point, I think. Didn't talk about it. One of my pleasant surprises of the year was Scottsdale National. I had no clue what to th- expect with that you golf course, the other Darren. the other course. Yeah. That place is awesome. I mean, and, and it's obviously very few people are ever going to see it. It's you know, it's a it's got a little bit of a funky culture with Bob Parsons own, owning it and like just but like that play, that golf course, if you're just talking about the golf course, that golf course is extraordinarily good. Right. Um, so that's that's something I'm uh, any places in particular you're excited to go to. Well, so that was actually one of the looking forward to's that I had written down. I'm looking forward to exploring some golf in my region. Now, not my locality, right? I've seen a lot of kind of Portland, Oregon area golf. I've seen the courses in town. But the trips that I've done outside of, you know, Portland have generally been to other places entirely, right? I've, I've gone to Nebraska in the past year. I, I went to the East Coast in the past year. I haven't done an awful lot of trips to like Washington State or, you know, to Eastern Oregon or Eastern Washington. And there's some really interesting golf. Right. So I've been to Sylvie's Valley Ranch before in Eastern Oregon. I need to write about it. I haven't really written about it, but uh, but that's a that's a very interesting uh, course and, and resort out there. But I need to go see Gamble Sands. I'd really like to go see Wine Valley in Walla Walla, Washington. These are courses that are a little bit hard to get to in terms of driving, but they are in my region. And now that we're doing this work with Club TFE 
there's definitely a reason for me to take those trips, right? That the the thing that's been kind of preventing me from going out there is that when I'm home, I'm I'm home. I'm, yeah. I'm with my kids, and uh, that is the priority. And I'm also doing the work that we do from home. A lot of the work that we do is just on our computers. We're writing. We're following the tours. We're we're following architecture, and we can do that from a home base. But uh, now that we have this kind of requirement in Club TFE to review courses, to profile courses, to go see new places, and a place to put our thoughts about those experiences. I'm certainly going to get out to more courses in the Pacific Northwest region, make some of these drives, do some of these kind of two, three-day trips. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that because I think there's some cool stuff that people don't often see. Yeah, that's a, a area of the country that I want to get to as well. I, uh, I, I personally, I just want to go to Seattle and Vancouver um, mm-hmm. because yeah. I just want to go to those towns. So yeah. I, I, I have I, to get out there too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Victoria Golf Club would be a great one to go see, and then some courses, some Stanley Thompson stuff around Vancouver uh, would be incredible to see. Yeah. So my uh, my other exciting thing. Uh, that I'm excited for. I'm just excited. I, I'm super amped up for LACC for the U.S. Open. Um, I am like I have reservations, and I think like where I just like really don't understand the 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 fairway narrowing. <laughs> I just I I'm sure we'll talk about this more, but yeah. like on on 18 18 is the one 18, that I've seen that it's like. What's going on there? It's just like a big patch of rough between those holes that shouldn't be there. 14 is another egregious one. And I just, I don't get, I'm super excited because LACC is going to be a golf course that's so dramatically different than your typical U.S. Open course. Right. And i that's what I'm excited about. And score should not be even like winning score shouldn't even be in the discourse of this tournament because anybody that's played out there has seen the golf course understands that if you're golfing your ball, you can go get it out there. You can score out at LACC. But when it gets hard is when you're a little off. And that to me is like what championship golf should be is if if you... There should be a go get it element. Like, okay, if you're playing great, you can go get it, right? And to me, LACC embodies that more so than most courses where, you know, there are preferred lines. There the the corridors are pretty wide off the tee. You're never on a tee feeling claustrophobic. Um you you feel the pressure to get it into places, and it's obviously going to be very firm because it's it's California in June. There's not going to be rain that you have to contend with. There might be some marine layer, um, it, although it's pretty far in from the coast there. But the thing to me is like it's just so counterintuitive. Like we're going to this wildly unique venue, like so unique, so cool. But we're going to put our like stamp of of narrow on this, and we're going to homogenize this place by narrowing it in spots. And it's just silly to me. So the 18th hole, for example, is one that just, it, it it's one of the cooler greens on the golf course. You kind of have this back right low area that's like a bowl. You have a higher left area. And you had traditionally a 80-yard wide fairway, 70-yard wide. I don't know exactly the yardage. 
But now it's like a 20-yard fairway, 25-yard fairway. And the whole left side, which if you take on this bunker, you can hit it over the bunker, shorten the hole. But from there, like you're not, it's not a good spot for half the pins. You know, half the pins, you're, you've got a bad angle. The, the tilt of the green is running away if the pin's on the left. But then on the right, it's like a glorious spot to hit into that back right bowl. Um, and they just have kind of like, now you have to hit it up the right side. And, and to me, it's just like, what are, what are we doing? Another, you know, they narrowed on the 16th hole. It's just like, what, why are we going to these places? This is a great, this is one of the greatest restorations in the last, you know, three decades. This is one of the restorations that has been like the gold standard for restorations going forward. Like this is a restoration people strive for. And, and we're coming in. Two non-golf architects are coming in with Bowden, or John Bodenhammer, and I, I don't know who's replaced Jason Gore. Um, but we've got people that come in that aren't architects. They're saying, we know better for championship golf. Why can't we just let the golf course be the golf course? And this is the place, like, no matter what, you're going to narrow five fairways. It's going to have a minimal impact on scoring. We're talking, like, maybe, what, what are we going to save? A half a shot a round? Is that really worth it? In the long run, like, why don't you just let the golf course be the golf course? That's the unique thing about your tournament is that you go to a different golf course every year. Why are we making the golf courses the same when this place is just by far, you know, along with, I would say along with like Chambers Bay, these are the two most unique golf courses that the U.S. Open's been to in the last 20 years. So... You're not looking forward to this. I'm looking forward you're, to you're it. You're dreading this. No, I'm not dreading it. I just, <laughs> I, it's, I, I have these, I have what I'm looking forward to. Like I said, the, I think these things are going to have minimal impact on scoring. It's just a bummer that they feel the even need. And this is like, this is just, they care about scores. You wouldn't do this otherwise. For example, there's no mo line changes for the women's open at Pebble Beach. Right. You know, when the men were at Pebble Beach, there were significant mow line changes. Uh, they do it every time at Pebble Beach at uh, U.S. Open. You can see it on the satellite uh, historical imagery. It, it moves in, and then Pebble Beach moves it back out. And I hope that LACC moves it back out. We've I been to courses will. before, you and I, yeah. where the USDA has come in and adjusted the mowing lines, and the club has not gone back. The course has not gone back to the previous mowing lines. I think that they will at LACC. That's the indication that I've heard. But um, yeah, I mean, you're completely right that part of what makes these courses unique and great is the width, right? Part of what made that restoration at LACC great and and distinctive was that the dimensions of the corridors and the greens were restored. And so to take that back is clearly taking a step back and clearly going against what was by wide consensus one of the best and most kind of like important restoration projects in the past couple of decades. And I bring up the pebble thing because that's a perfect example. If you're doing it for the men, but not the women, it's very clear why you're doing it. It's all score based. So you can't sit there and say you're not worried about scoring. We don't, yeah. we're going to let people shoot whatever they shoot and then narrow the fairways. You can't do that because if you're not worried about it for the women, if you're not doing it, like there's no, 
basis if you're not doing it for the women and you did it for the men. There's zero basis for your your argument if that's the case. Because in a, in a way, you could, would be able to easily make the case that the women are who you should be narrowing fairways for, not the men. I don't think you should, and I don't think you should narrow it for anybody. I want to be that to be clear. But if you were <laughs> yeah. going to narrow fairways for one of one of the men or, or women, the you dispersion say, pattern of yes, the women would you make the case it. that yeah. the women would be who you'd narrow fairways for. Yeah. Well, everything that the U.S. Open has done since the Robert Trent Jones era has proven that they care deeply about the scores. They would have done everything differently if they didn't care about scoring. And so that just doesn't hold water. And there was an exper- a period of experimentation for a while with the U.S. Open, with Mike Davis at the helm, where they weren't disregarding scoring. They were just trying to suppress scoring in a different way through the firmness of the greens and through kind of uh, different kinds of pin positions. And they were trying to find a different way to do it while keeping the corridors at courses like Shinnecock Hills and Aaron Hills wide. But they got a lot of criticism for that, and clearly they have gone back to kind of a formula that existed before. They have it really dialed in. We saw it at the country club. Things were pretty predictable there in terms of the scoring conditions, and I think that they're trying to pull off the same thing at LACC. Now, the thing is that LACC is a very different course from the country club, and I'm not sure that they're going to be able to control scoring in the same way that they did. I just uh, don't. I don't foresee a way that this that U, this U.S. Open isn't going to get into the dub, double digits to par. Yeah, I mean the general point here is that part of what makes golf great, part of what makes this game different from pretty much any other, is that the venues are so different from each other. That's something that pretty much all of us love about golf. You know what sucked last year? Watching Cam Smith shoot 31 on the back nine to win the Open. If, yeah, if that he, was so if, unexciting. If, if that golf course, <laughs> I mean, if they have done some stuff to minute, but if that golf course just, yeah. you know, if, if he had shot 35 to win the Open, that would have been more interesting. Yeah. No, said nobody. Nobody said, nobody would ever well, say some, that. Some people were complaining about... Uh, uh, how how the old course was uh, had been uh, outmoded and and there were some you know th- there are some concerns about how how far the ball is flying and and insofar as the complaints were about that they were legitimate but if you watched that tournament last year and thought that the old course is completely irrelevant and that the open should never go back there because uh the course has uh, it, time has passed it by i'm not sure what you were watching because it was really exciting Right. Well, the same would go for Southern Hills. You know, that playoff stunk between JT and Zalatoris because JT went birdie, birdie par. You know, <laughs> it was too easy. Him playing yeah. 16, 17, and 18. And if the fairways were 15 or were, were 20 yards wide, it would have been better. Yeah. No. And people, it would people were complaining about Southern Hills, too. That's the thing is that there are people out there. Tree, treeless Wasteland. Yeah. Yeah, right. the quote of quote <laughs> yeah. of a prominent uh, golf channel analyst, yeah. treeless that wasteland. Was, yeah, yeah, that was a, a real high point for uh, live from this year. Um, all right, let me end this on uh, another note. Uh, so the last thing I'm looking forward to in in 2023, I want to try to get better at golf. Oh wow! And that might sound really bland, skill pursuit, and it probably is um, <laughs> because everybody's. Almost everybody is trying to get better at golf. I don't know if I'm trying to get better at golf. In that's the thing. Is that 
I, I, I've been with you for a while where I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to get worse at this game. That's part of getting older and getting busier. And that's okay. That's not why I play. And it's still not why I play, right? I don't play golf to get better at it because if that were the reason, it would be pretty pathetic, right? <laughs> because I'm not that good. And so I'm out there to kind of appreciate other things, appreciate the company, appreciate the course, do all those things that we talk about more. But something that I kind of caught the bug of in the past year was really trying to find small ways to get better, right? Speed training? Not speed training. Andy makes fun of me about this a lot. Well, you talk I about you. I joked about... <laughs> one time. I joked one time that I was going to do speed training to try to catch up with him and Will and Cameron in terms of distance because those guys outdrive me by like 30, 40 yards. If they, if that's they, not true at all. Yeah, you're like, they're, you're they're not that, you're, you're not that you know, short. Whatever. <laughs> it's not going to be speed training because I'll hurt myself. I know that. But something that I did this past year that I really enjoyed was that I just got a little bit better with my short game. I kind of worked on it more. I went to the driving range a couple of times and didn't go hit balls. I went to the practice screen and kind of hit some chips and I got better at it. And all of a sudden, by the end of the year, like I felt like I had a pretty good short game. I was hitting some chips really close. I was getting up and down and I kind of got addicted to that. That was like, this feels really good. I started to realize that it was just like the pursuit of that improvement itself is interesting and absorbing and kind of makes you reflect on other things in your life and other habits yes. you have and, and other ways that you just are in the world as you're improving at this kind of silly skill of trying to hit the ball close to the hole, you're doing all sorts of things in your mind and your body that are relevant to other areas of your life and, and make you think about how you live. And so I started to see that a little bit this past year and something I'm looking forward to is just trying to get a little better at certain aspects of golf and seeing kind of where that leads me because it, it was fun and I think it was useful for me and, and good for my mental health to kind of be thinking in this way about the golf game. I want to get better at it. I don't need to. I'm not going to beat myself up if I play poorly because that's inevitable right? I, I don't work on it enough in order to expect myself to be perfect, but trying to get better, just that attitude of trying to improve is, is a kind of a new thing for me in golf. I've never really thought about it consciously. I've never really pursued it consciously. That's something that I'd like to do in this coming year. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think about my life, uh, growing up and how, if I, you know, if I had my mentality of, of now with how I would practice, you know, how much better I would have been growing up. And I think one of the things that happens, I don't know when it is. I, for me, it happened at like age 28. I just like got tired of hitting balls at the range and became like, I fell in love with putting and chipping. Yeah. And that's when I saw the the sharpest improvement. Like and I'm not saying like when I say sharpest improvement, I'm saying like from like you know, scratch to plus territory where I saw like the and the consistency. But it, what it was was I fell in love with practicing chipping and putting. Yeah. Because listen like to a certain extent unless you're going to dedicate yourself to a a a let's just say 50 lessons and like you're not it's very hard to rework your swing your swing's kind of what it is and like for me like 
personally, I feel like I kind of know what I'm going to do every day tea to green. To cert- like, I'm relatively consistent. I'm going to have good days and bad days. And on good days, it's going to be really good. And on bad days, it's going to be like, it'll be a little bit of a struggle. But the thing that like you can control like more so, in my opinion, is you can control your, your lag putting, your short putting, and your chipping. And if you do those things well, that's what's going to yield the best consistency. And like, if I was going to invest time in practicing, that's what I would invest time in practicing. Is like, you know, I used to hit, I used to wouldn't leave a golf course until I made 20 straight three footers. And that sounds silly, but there's, it simulates pressure. It, it like, you, in hit, making 20 straight is, is difficult. But when you're then in that money match at, at, with your buddies, and you've got the three footer to make par and to win the hole, you all of a sudden don't feel as as nervous. Mm-hmm. Like and I think like that's the fun thing about practicing is when you can create triggers that like really add pressure and gamify it. And I think that's so easy to do with the short game and putting. Short game and putting is like so easy to make fun. And hitting range balls is hard to make fun. It's like you can do, you can set up the posts and be like, I'm going to hit this many fairways. But yeah. So, anyways, that's, yeah. uh, I, I, I think I, it's, I think I'm it's jealous great. of your yeah. pursuit. Well, yeah. And, and I, I'm not going to like, it's not going to be that ambitious, right? It's going to be little things. But, uh, this is sort of, it's sort of something I talked about with, uh, Bob Cullen, who was on the podcast about a month mm-hmm. ago. Why golf? Where, yeah, he wrote the book Why Golf. And, and one of the big sort of insights from that conversation was that, you know, when people get to be in their 30s and 40s, they stop improving at stuff. They have fewer realms in their life where they're really working on improving. And so in my case, something that I worked on a lot when I was a teenager and when I was in my 20s was getting better at reading and writing, getting better with language because that's what I wanted to do with my career. And I was very focused and intentional about improving in those areas. Well, it's not that I've mastered it now, but I'm in my 30s, my late 30s, and I've stopped kind of being in the mindset of improving at my what I do for my job, right? I, I, I do it a lot, but I'm not, I don't feel like I'm learning it anymore necessarily. I'm doing it. And so that part of my life where I'm working on something that I'm not very good at, but that I feel that I could get better at. I'm confident that I could get better at at it by by devoting myself to a certain process. That that's golf right now. This episode of the Fried Egg Podcast was edited by Meg Atkins. If you're interested in our membership program, Club TFE, Go to thefriedegg.com slash membership and find more information and a place to sign up. Right now, we have started Club TFE. It it is going. We have some blog posts. We have some course profiles. And there are a bunch of people in the comment section having a good time. So if that sounds appealing to you, again, thefriedegg.com slash membership and sign up. All right. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you again soon.